Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week, there was no match, so we're chipping away at my backlog of questions. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. How's your week been? I was out of town traveling all weekend, and so I have a lot of profane things to say about my experience flying on Southwest, but uh, but it was a nice time <laughs> where I was. I was in, I was in, in Ithaca, New York for a friend's wedding, so it was a, a lovely weekend. Oh, okay. Good, good. Glad to hear it. So I'd like to begin with some follow-up. I wanted to correct myself. I was cringing as I heard myself saying it last week, but the team name from Ted Lasso is AFC Richmond, not PFC, which I think is what, private first class, I think, in the military, <laughs> maybe. Um, but but yeah, AFC Richmond is the team. I said it multiple times, and I apologize. Which, which we'll throw in, by the way, I, I, do you know what AFC stands for? That is a good question. I think you probably told me when we, when we watched the first season together, but I have forgotten, so please remind me. Oh, sure. So AFC stands for Association Football Club, uh, the, the term Association Football being the, we'll call it the official name of the sport, which is it, the association part is where you actually get the term soccer where it comes from. Oh, wow. Okay. And actually, if you look at look in the Premier League today, they're, uh, one of the clubs, Bournemouth, their official name is AFC Bournemouth, Association Football Club, whereas most of them are going to be like Arsenal, Arsenal FC, Arsenal Football Club, right. Liverpool Football Club, that sort of thing. Okay, cool. Thank you. I didn't even think to ask that. Uh, that's that's good to know. So, so the first thing that I wanted to dive into was one big question that's going to be tough to squeeze in when there is one or at least one or if there are multiple matches during the week, which is uh, what can you tell me about Arsenal's history? I know that we touched on the the league having been around for over 100 years. Has Arsenal been around that whole time or were they more modern would be the first question. Okay, so the thing with with English and European sports especially is so many of these clubs begin kind of of their own accord. So in American sports, they run on what's called a franchise model, which is the league comes into existence and then teams are brought in or created as part of that league. With these leagues, the teams, many of the teams existed first hmm. and then eventually sort of associate and form the league and then in the case of arsenal start out as very low-level amateur clubs and grow to the level where they can compete and join uh to to the to those leagues and this all happened by the way uh a century ago at least right uh, arsenal was founded and i i did have to look this up to be sure arsenal was founded in 1886 okay uh they were founded as dial square uh dial square was the neighborhood of london in which they existed and the name arsenal comes from the fact that they were started by workers from uh, the woolwich arsenal the royal arsenal the ones who made hmm. uh the, the cannons the artillery for the for the british army oh, okay and, and a lot of clubs have this origin. If you go back into their nickname, their names, original names of the club, it, it refers to, in some cases, the company they work for, the industry where they were in. Uh, for example, Manchester United's early name is, I want to say it's, I think, Newton Heath, uh, which refers to the railroad company that they worked for in Manchester. Huh. Yeah. Uh, or my favorite one is, is the club in, from the Midlands. It's uh, named after the day of the week that the workers had off. And so it's the day of the week they were able to play. So the club's <laughs> name is Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> sounds like an eighties band or something. And they, and they have been in the premier league with, uh, and as recently as the nineties, they are, they, they are traditionally a, a pretty solid club. 
Uh, so they've been, they have been in the top division uh, for, before in, in re- living memory. So, huh? Um, cool. But it, but anyway, Arsenal was in in the Woolwich uh, in the Woolwich area. They were Woolwich Arsenal, Royal Arsenal, uh, and then eventually shortened that uh, for as a commercial venture as a professional club to Arsenal. Uh, the Woolwich Arsenal, if you know about the geography of London, is actually in South London. It's south of the Thames River. Hmm. Uh, but in the early 20th century, they built a new stadium, uh, Arsenal Stadium, in the neighborhood of Highbury. Uh, in the early 20th century, and I, I had the date, and I was was just looking at it, and I'm now just killing time until I can find it. Um, <laughs> let's see, there it is. Uh, yes, they opened that September 1913. So we're we're still 100 plus years ago. Yeah, wow. Uh, where they that that was in North London, which is the area they've been in since. They were in Highbury uh until 2006 actually they at the end of that season uh then in the fall of 2006 they moved into the emirates stadium which is in ashburton grove it is essentially a couple of it more or less a couple of blocks away from from highbury so it's in the same basic neighborhood Hmm, okay um and that and they've been in the emirates since then okay cool um so next question pertaining to to the history of Arsenal and the league. So so Arsenal did predate the league it sounds like as did other teams. How many teams were in the league when it did first form? So when they first formed and I had to, and I had to look this up. So now I'm going to pretend I have some deep seated knowledge. <laughs> I had to look this up. Uh the first year of the football league in 1888 there were 12 teams. That's a good size. Okay. Uh, some of them are in the league currently. Currently, Aston Villa was one of them. Uh, West West Brom, which Albion actually, they, I think they're in championship right now. But they were West Brom, Everton was in it. Uh, a few names, longtime watchers will be familiar with: Derby County, Stoke, Bolton Wanderers, Blackburn Rovers, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Wolves. That's the that's the other one I was forgetting. Uh, so, uh, uh, the bulk of the sport is really in the northern part of the country. Uh, it, it, soccer is an industrial game. It's it's a very urban game. It's based around industry. So traditionally, the big clubs in in England are going to be based in the heavily industrial areas: Birmingham, Manchester, uh, the Midlands, Newcastle, places like that. Clubs from the southern part of of England, especially in London, were, took a much longer time to get into the league. And Arsenal doesn't actually join the league structure. I, gosh, I think until the eighteen nineties. So not too much further into its past, but they don't they don't even make it to the football league itself. They actually don't get promotion to the top league until sometime in the early 20th century. Okay. And so London traditionally lags behind in that sense because London it doesn't have that same kind of industrial base as uh, the others do. Interesting. Uh, so so next question. And I, you've largely answered it. I just want to summarize and confirm and then share a little tidbit. So um, I, I, there have been the two stadiums you've always talked about. There's, it sounded like, I think Highbury was the previous one and then Emirates. And it sounded like maybe there was one more before Highbury. Was that correct? Uh, yes, there would have been somewhere that they played before um, before moving to North London. So this would have been in South of, in South London, South of the, uh, yeah. of the Thames. I, 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 I could scroll through their Wikipedia page and find the name, but I don't know what it is. I mean, they opened Highbury, I think I said, what, 1913? So, yeah, they were right, in that. Right. They were there for that a one very long, time. long, long time. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Okay. And then what I wanted to share with people that I learned recently on, on a blog that I read called Daring Fireball at daringfireball.net, 
Um, he shared a link to something. I don't even remember what it was talking about anymore, but he referred to something being a stadium and had a link to a definition. Apparently, stadium is actually a geometric shape, what we think of as like a capsule shape with two flat sides and then a, a semicircle on either end, like a pill. That that apparently is a shape named a stadium, and I guess modern day usage of a term is because most most arenas that sports teams play in are shaped like that. But that's actually apparently where that comes from. I thought, I thought that was very interesting. Hmm. I learned something new tonight. Then, <laughs> so if you had to give maybe I don't know a top three, top five, who, who are the most notable players throughout? Arsenal's history like who what names should I be familiar with and and I can offer initially I know a little bit about Thierry Henry he was interviewed as part of all or nothing they showed him a little bit um but who else in and I guess Mikel Arteta would qualify also probably I mean as his manager but I believe he also did play for the club for a while it sounds like um so what other names should I be familiar with going into their history a little bit Wow. Um, you know, I was thinking about that. The, the thing with players is there are just so many. And, 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 and this is my my limitation in terms of the limited time I've been a fan or following the team. You know, Arsenal traditionally, Arsenal's really been really, we talked just a few minutes ago about the difference between North and Southern England. You know, Arsenal get really gets their makes their name as the first truly prominent london based club hmm, okay uh that so they're actually one of the three probably one of the three biggest teams in the history of england them alongside liverpool and manchester united arsenal by the way is the only club in the history of the the top division that has never been relegated oh. so since the football league was sort of more officially standardized after World War One, Arsenal's the only team that's never been – they were in the Football League when it started, and they've never been out of it. Oh, that's a cool distinction. And, and they've won titles in a number of different eras as well. Uh, but if you start asking me about individual players, uh, frankly, I'm not going to be able to give you anything uh, prior to the, some of the names that come up in the mid-90s. Well, sure. But so let's let's do that. Just from your own experience, like from the mid '90s onwards, when when you started following them or or whatever, you know, who, who what can you share? Okay. Well, so so there's a couple of mixture of names. Some of them are players who were great at the time, and then a few of them are players who obviously were great at the time, but have been well known past their playing days. So I'll give a couple names. Uh, you mentioned Thierry Henry. I, I, he has to be up there. He's the club's all-time leading scorer. Okay. Uh, he is uh, just a uh, and and certainly is a player. His highlight videos are absolutely worth looking up. Just a uh, my favorite line I heard after you know an announcer the the English with their sort of stylistic uh, ways uh, and broadcaster said of him uh, he's not a a great scorer of goals he's a scorer of great goals. Huh. I like that. Yeah, which I think is a really kind of uh, is in some ways indicative of, of the kind of player he was. Again, as a player who scored more goals for Arsenal than anyone else in the club's history. Yeah. Uh, another name, the, the player whose record he broke uh, is a player named Ian Wright. Uh, Ian Wright, uh, Henri is French. He was from France. Uh, Wright is from London. He he is one of those people who spent most of his life around Arsenal. You know, eats, sleeps, eats, sleeps drinks, breathes, lives the club. And uh, and he he makes a lot of appearances on television. He's a very outgoing, friendly character. He is he does make an appearance on Ted Lasso. <laughs> okay, um, making some jokes at the expense of Tottenham, which is a subject we can talk about later. Oh yeah. Um, 
but uh, Righty, as he's sometimes known, is a famous name. <laughs> uh, another one from sort of that era, late 90s into the early 2000s, uh, Dennis Bergkamp, uh, a, a Dutchman, a playmaker, also a goal scorer. Uh, another name to really be aware of uh, from that era in the early 2000s was a, a player named Patrick Vieira, another Frenchman. Uh, was part of the team uh, that part of the French team that won the World Cup in '98. He was uh, he and Henri and Bergkamp were all part of the so-called Invincibles, a club that was uh, 2003-03-04, when undefeated in an entire season, didn't lose a single game. Hmm. Uh, an excellent central midfield player. He actually later he's now in management. He's actually now the manager of uh, Crystal Palace. Oh, okay. And frankly, he still looks like he could come on the field and and put in a good shift. <laughs> I noticed that was Mikel Arteta, too. He's definitely kept in shape, it seems like. Definitely. Arteta's, Arteta's a bit younger. Uh, he was with the club in sort of the 2010s. Um, he and uh, now the head of the youth academy, a German defender named uh, Per Mertesacker, uh, showed up. I want to say it was in uh, – they were signed in the fall of, I think, 2011 – and sort of helped the club reset itself, and they won a couple of FA Cups in the mid-2010s, uh, uh, which was the the end of a trophy drought for Arsenal, his first trophies in a few years. Oh, that's cool, yeah. I mean, Arteta's a nice player from the last, you know, era of success in the club's history, but, you know, in, the, in a sense, the, I think the hope is that as manager, he'll really sort of make his mark. I think also it's kind of interesting, if you look at important Arsenal people, managers in some cases are probably more important. Um, We've talked about Arsene Wenger. Uh, you know, Wenger shows up in the, the late 90s, and, and one of the first things he does, and it tells us a lot, I think, about how sports have changed even in just the last 25, 30 years. When Wenger shows up, he was one of the first people to suggest to a number of Arsenal players, players who had recently won the league, uh, that maybe the best way to follow up practice is not fish and chips and three pints in the pub right afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> that you know really introduced the idea of of not drinking to excess and you know eating healthy foods instead of you know fish and chips. So you know, and that that was treating that was, the guys like professional athletes. It sounds uh, like, yeah. and that's yeah, and that's nineteen ninety eight. I mean, this is a team that had recently won the league, so we're talking about guys who are at the yeah. top of their game. But it's part of what allows them to be the the kind of uh, team they were. I think one other name I'll throw out there will go all the way back into the, the 1920s and 30s. The, er, the earliest age of Arsenal's success had a manager named Herbert Chapman. Okay. And Chapman, among other things, is one of the first managers to come up with what we call a formation. So I, you ha if we, talk, we talked last week about formations, uh, you talk about the banks of players. He created what was known as the WM. Hmm. And if you were to look at it on the field, you would describe it as a 3 2 2 3 so if you look at it, it spells out, you know, W up top and M underneath uh, yeah. in front of the keeper. <laughs> yeah, okay. And in fact, we talked about the numbers. That's where some of those original numbers come from is just left to right across those formations and up the formations. So two, three, four for the, the fullbacks, um, five, six for the halfbacks, the deeper midfield, what we now see as deep midfield, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven up top. So a lot of that comes out of that uh, that kind of system. So he's right. he's a he's a really important figure in the history of the sport, just in terms of that the really the first true what we'd call a formation. Huh. Okay. Something you reminded me of 
Um, and I, I apologize not giving you a heads up on this, but it's been in the back of my mind. They mentioned with Saka during All or Nothing that he came up through the Arsenal Academy. And you mentioned Arsenal Academy recently. What can you tell me about that? Okay, so I, I guess in some ways the easiest way to compare it would be sort of like baseball's minor leagues. You have these teams that develop players and eventually feed them into uh, the, the team at the top level. The difference is that in in soccer, and this is true around um, in many cases around the world, actually even U.S. teams have these academies as well, where they sign these players, in some cases as young, some of them you know, give them entrance as young as like six or seven years old. Um, they sign them as right. kids. Right, that's what they said about Saka. He was like eight or something, right. Right, and so they, they will play at the youth level, and every year they're evaluated and they sort of decide, okay, are you developing? Are you someone we want? Or perhaps you aren't developing, we'll cut you loose because the teams get smaller and smaller and the play gets more serious, obviously, as you get older right. and theoretically get closer to the first team. Um, yeah, and so, you know, for a player who gets gets aged out, you can typically you join a local academy, but academies will recruit from each other as well. And certainly you will see player, you know, clubs signing players who sort of dropped out of other academies or, you know, they, yeah, they dropped out or they were cut from other academies, but a, a team looks at them and says, we can work with this. Um, and so the idea is you grow these players, and then when they reach really their late teens, then it becomes a question of what are we going to do with them. Uh, in some cases, you can loan them to another club, and they can play in other divisions so they get used to playing against adults. Uh, you might decide they're really worth something, and you could sell them for just straight cash to another team or another academy. Or you begin to work them into your first team. I mean, we talked last week about the uh, the fifteen year old. Right. He's a little ahead of, of of the game. That's a little further than most. But the <laughs> idea of guys making their professional debut at, at eighteen is is not unusual. Hmm. So the academy itself is it strictly focused on soccer and it's a supplement to their primary education, or is this like their full time school that they go to that just has a lot of soccer training? mixed in for the most cases the vast majority of places it's going to be a supplement and and arsenal in particular one of those clubs that's well known for really strongly encouraging uh the players and their education so making sure that you know in part of their training is making sure they're keeping up with their school work and emphasizing that and that's not to say that other clubs you know don't care about school or you know want idiots as players but you know yeah. for arsenal it's a point of emphasis that they want their player you know they are, they're asking about your grades. They're making sure you're doing well, you're attending school. So they will keep an eye on that sort of thing. But they will come, and especially this is true when they're younger, you know, they spend the day at school and they come to the academy, uh, Hale End is what it's called, and they come to the academy for an hour or two you know, at the end of the day. Right. So it's, okay. it's not a heavy part of the day. As you get older, you know, as you, 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 know, you go from school, or, you know, you have school, but you spend much more of your time, your practices get more intense. Um, there are a few of them that treat them sort of like boarding schools and some of the more intense major academies at some of the big clubs. But that's that's, you know, that's really expensive, of course. And also, uh, well, sure, you know, it, it just takes, you know, they're really only a handful of big clubs that can really afford that kind of thing. So right. for the most part, it's going to be supplemental to their education. It really just becomes a point of when is when do you decide, you know, it's more important to you to become a professional athlete. And that's why 18 is really an important age. Cause that's of course you're finishing, you know, secondary, your primary school, finishing secondary school, high school, as we would call it. Um, you're finishing right. that kind of thing. So 
So, yes, I think that's uh, that's all the major questions I wanted to ask about Arsenal's history, and I definitely feel more grounded than before. Uh, shifting gears a little bit to some more specific questions instead of more grandiose, uh, broader themes, I noticed that we are playing Tottenham next weekend. Um, my question is, I heard a term being thrown around during All or Nothing. I think it was during All or Nothing. If not, then during the early matches from the season. And they were referring to, if I'm saying it the way that I thought I heard it, it's a North London derby. And so I extrapolated in my mind to think, okay, maybe they mean North London Derby, but it's just a funny English way of saying it. And is that the equivalent of what we would call here a subway series, like between the Mets and the Yankees or the Cubs and the White Sox or something like that? Yes. It's, it, I mean, it is, it, is, it is spelled like Derby, D-E-R-B-Y, but in English, is, in British English is pronounced Derby. Uh, and and okay. sometimes it just refers to any, any game – between sometimes you can use it as a proxy for maybe a rivalry. Oh, okay. Um, so you'll hear about a uh, Arsenal will play in a London derby. So anytime they play Chelsea or Crystal Palace or any of the other clubs in London, that's a London derby. Uh, you get more specific in this case because of the region. So in this case, Arsenal and Tottenham are both located in North London, and so they this is the North London derby, which is arguably one of the fiercest rivalries in certainly in the premier league and and arguably ranks among the top in the sport right so next question related tottenham their full name i believe is tottenham hotspur correct yes um what what is so hot about the spur what (laughs) where where does that second part of their name come from it it is tied to the i believe he's a and i I should know i should know this theoretically but i guess i don't uh it's tied to the uh, character who pops up in several shakespeare plays harry hotspur uh who is bait wow i I did not expect that oh yeah hey (laughs) listen this is england there are shakespeare references um (laughs) sure but it's tied in it's tied into that figure because the figure i believe it's either the actual harry hotspur or the figure he was based on i admit uh, that part of elizabethan england i'm not sure on but uh (laughs) lived in the area of tottenham and owned land in that region so tottenham is the section of london that they're in and so referencing hotspur uh and their their symbol is the cockerel a uh a fighting cock, basically. So you'll look at their logo. Yeah. It is a a a bird with the. You'll notice particularly on his leg, the the hot spur. The big. He's got a big uh, talon uh, there on the back, and that's okay. the hot spur. Oh, glad I asked. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um. So yes, and that is shortened sometimes to Spurs, not the Spurs, as in like the basketball team in San Antonio. <laughs> San Antonio, but, yeah. But just <laughs> Spurs. Okay. Or Tottenham. That's that you know. Ta- you, you, rarely right. would you say Tottenham Hotspur, but it would be Tottenham or Spurs or nobody would say Hotspurs. That's that seems that's an odd one. So Spurs right. or Tottenham is usually how they're referred to. Oh, okay. So next next question, a little bit silly. Um, it, they do kick the ball pretty hard sometimes. It does go into the stands sometimes. I've seen it happen in a, a baseball game. The ball goes into a stand. You keep it especially you're like risking your life even trying to catch it sometimes. Uh, what happens with a soccer ball that goes into the stands? They throw it back. Uh, they are supposed to throw it back. Um, and, you know, rarely does it go far enough that they can't quite get it, you know, all the way back on the field or you pass it down a few rows. Um, that, because they only have, if you look around, when the ball goes out of play, there's a, there's a ball boy or the ball kid who immediately tosses another one to 
a player so we can throw it in or so that the, the goal the keeper can kick it away um so they they only have a limited number as opposed to baseballs i think they're like they like have several hundred of them in the in the state right the, the stadium and they think they say was that the average lifespan of a of a of a major league baseball is like seven pitches right so they they just they have i mean they have hundreds on they run through it constantly in, in this it's a lot more like you know compared to be say the the nfl in, in in the u.s where they have a limited number of balls it goes in the stands you have to give it back because they will they're they'll toss it back in and reuse it in a little bit and they're, so they're cycling those balls constantly right do they do they start each game with an like a fresh unused ball oh yeah they'll be they'll usually be new um or new-ish, at yeah. least. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I admit, I don't know how often they're swapping them out. Like, if a game-used ball immediately gets, uh, you know, now it's game-used, it gets tossed, or, you know, I, they could reuse some of them. That I couldn't tell you. Yeah, okay. Um, so we touched on this a little bit earlier and in earlier episodes, but, um, and, and again, baseball tends to be my reference point just because I know more about that sport than I do other sports, but... I know in baseball you have the farm system where you, you play in lower-level leagues, uh, the minor leagues. You play in teams that are typically considered like feeder teams, like this is part of the Yankees organization or the Cubs organization. And it'll be their their system, and you play other teams, and certain people gain notoriety, and they get called up to the show. They call it in baseball. Um it, my understanding so far with what I've seen with soccer is, at, at least as far as English soccer goes, that the biggest part of that feeder system would be the vast base of the pyramid you described, where Premier is at the top, and you have all these other teams filling in all these other leagues that go down the pyramid, and there's there's a lot of them, it sounded like. But then you also have the academy is there anything else that's used for developing talent and how, how do you get noticed? What, what is the best way? Like what is the path, I guess, for someone who wants to be a professional footballer in England? Um, so yeah, you've named the two, two of the big ones, obviously the Academy and then lower level, lower level teams. And sometimes when we say lower level, we don't just mean necessarily a lower division. The biggest clubs, Arsenal, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, are also watching teams even within the Premier League. I, Manchester City uh, recently signed someone. Uh, who was it? Well, it's not, well, actually, I'll get to that example in a moment. Sorry, let's let's try a different one first. Um, uh, okay. Well, look at look at Arsenal. The they signed right. Yeah. They signed uh, Ben White, who was at uh, Southampton. Uh, which is another team in okay. the Premier League, but because Arsenal is a bigger club, more resources, Southampton's a little more careful with their budget, and so Arsenal says, here's a bunch of money for your player, and if your team like Southampton, he is more valuable to you as a financial asset at that point than a player. Um, huh, okay. And so, so you'll see a that you'll see that happen uh, even within the league. So that's 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 interesting to me. That seems like a different perspective than what I've seen from the the leagues in the U.S. where players move around all the time it's not considered to be i could think of maybe like one exception i don't want to betray any bias but the yankees for instance like maybe you would be considered trading up to a team like the yankees that's won so many championships or something but in general players just kind of move around and i think they're all considered kind of on the same tier is my impression of it more or less so there this goes back to that that notion of the of the professional franchise and the more closed system um that you don't see, and it's very, or I should say, you see extremely rarely when you see 
the player for player swaps that you get in American professional sports because that's a closed system. I mean, there's there's nowhere if you are a professional baseball player, you're a major league baseball player. There's really nowhere else for you to ply your trade and be considered a, a, a top tier baseball player. You, you can you can go to Japan or Mexico, but that is a that's a major step down to be in one of those <laughs> right. leagues. Um, whereas you know in, in England you can you can go from England to Spain or Germany and still be playing with with certain clubs at a, at a very high level. In some cases, even a higher one. You know the idea of a a a uh, Spanish club, you know, taking players, even from a team like Arsenal, Barcelona will sign or try to sign, Ar- you know, Arsenal players. And some of them will go because of the the prestige of the club, the money on offer, Arsenal will give them up. But one of the other things you see is that players have a lot more freedom in, or a lot more power uh, because of that open system. So in a lot of cases, what you'll see is clubs, especially clubs that are in need of that money, will look to sell players Typically, you want to do it as they go before they go into the last year of their contract, because they can always then run the. If it's the mm-hmm. last year, then they can just run it down, and then they'll be a free agent essentially, which means anyone can sign them. Whereas before, if you try to we call it buying a player, so Arsenal goes to Southampton and says we want Ben White, and Southampton says okay, you need to give us X million dollar or X million pounds, and then you can negotiate a new contract with Ben White. Which will right, also cost right. you more money than what he's getting paid now. That's part of the appeal of going to a club like right. Arsenal's. They'll pay you more. Right. So they, they need to buy out his contract, essentially. Well, they're, 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 it's sort of they're buying out the contract. What they're really doing is buying they're, – they're really buying permission from Southampton to do that negotiation. And it will only go through okay. if the negotiation happens. Uh, and this goes into – we've talked about transfers before, right, how they uh, – how you acquire these players. The one other place we, we mentioned, and, and I've sort of touched on it here, we talked about – uh, players coming up from your academy, but also getting players from lower levels of the English league. You also increasingly in the 21st century will sign players internationally. Yeah. So you look at Arsenal's roster, and most of those uh, uh, most of those players are not from England. Many of them did not play in England until they were signed by Arsenal. And so, sure. Um, you know, you sign those players. The one I the the one I was thinking of and mentioning before, Manchester City's big acquisition is there. Uh, the league's top scorer, Erling Holland, who was actually spent the last few years playing in Germany uh, at Borussia Dortmund, and was a, was an excellent player there. So Manchester City goes to Dortmund, which is a really big club in Germany. But Manchester City, mm-hmm. with their financial resources, turns around and says, "Here's a bunch of money to Dortmund and a bunch of money to Holland." Um, you know, that's they talk about transfers and how they work. It, you know, in, in American professional sports, say the say the Yankees want to make a trade with the, the Minnesota Twins. The teams negotiate and the players are told afterwards, you have been traded and you're going here. In a, in a soccer transfer, the player is involved. So as a, as a team like Arsenal, you have to communicate with the player. And this is all has to be unofficial because you're not allowed to, quote unquote, tamper, even though we know these, how these all take place. <laughs> you communicate through the player, okay. hey, we are interested. We would be interested in signing you. Would you be interested in coming to us? At which point the player can then say to his team, yes, if Arsenal comes, I would be interested in that. Arsenal also has to negotiate with the team to say, we would like permission to talk to this player. And the team can refuse that in some cases. There are some of them, though, that have – and there's all sorts of weird ways their contracts are are, uh, are, uh, uh, written. Uh, Some of them have a release clause. So Thomas Partey uh, played at Atletico Madrid. 
and Atletico did not want us to talk to him. They didn't want to sell him, but he had a, a 50 million, it was either 50 million pounds or 50 million euros, had a release clause where basically if we paid $50 million, they had to let, they had to let us talk to him. He was interested in signing for Arsenal, so we paid the $50 million, negotiated his leaving, and there was nothing Atletico could do about it. That's fascinating. I didn't realize there was that much to it. Transfers are such a weird thing to watch because of just how there's so many rumors involved. There's a lot of, and you yeah. know, we'll, we'll probably get to this if we if we extend this through the summer. You'll get to the well. You'll see it a little bit in January. They call it the silly season, where if you follow the team's news, there are rumors <laughs> all over the place, and you have to learn to trust which out news sources are reliable. Who can you listen to? Who actually knows what they're talking about? Um, and then which sources that everybody likes to spread online? Because look, it's news. Then you look where it came from, and you just say, "No, that come on, those people don't know anything." Um, <laughs> or, or you get to once you start dealing with foreign players, foreign news sources, and they all have their own hierarchy of reliable sources. It de- sometimes it depends on which club you're talking about. Um, was it uh, Marca? Is the big sports news news magazine in Spain? You know, they know a lot, but they'll also peddle a lot of rumors. But if it's anything involving Real Madrid, they there's a lot of connections there. So chances are they know somebody who uh, knows something. On the other hand, we all they also right. work through the club, and sometimes they spread news because it's good for Real Madrid, even if the club isn't necessarily <laughs> pursuing it. So you have to take all of it with a, with a grain of salt. Yeah, the propaganda arm of uh, hey, oh, Real yes. Madrid. Oh, yeah. In some, way, in some ways, that's absolutely true. Yeah, interesting. So next, next, possibly silly question. So um, we've we've talked a little bit about chance and that that's very much part of the culture in England for these matches. Um, before I get to the question I had noted, I want to ask you, what is the name or what is the history of the song that I hear them singing? And I can tell it's the Arsenal fans singing it because it's in every game, regardless of who they're playing. What What is that song that I always hear them saying? It's not really a uh, chant. It's a, it's a song that they're singing. Do you, do you remember any part of it? Can you hear any part of it? I mean, because it could be several things. That's what I. That's why I. I asked. Yeah. I will make a note to follow up next time. I will jot down whatever I can tell because I hear it multiple times every match. Like I get the feeling that it's like their their fight song, their theme song. It, it seems like something that you you'll probably know immediately as soon as I tell you any part of it. But I just don't know it enough to because I can't well, for the defending myself a little bit i, I can't make out what they're saying i'm sure if i were in the stadium i could probably tell well so so i, I, I the there's one i think it could be so tell me if, tell me if i'm i'm on the right track on that uh how you know i'll try to it's more shouting than singing <laughs> but as you go uh and it's arsenal arsenal fc we're by far no. the greatest team the world has ever seen I does that sound familiar don't think so but mm. i enjoyed your rendition <laughs> well, thank you thank you so yeah i'll maybe, maybe that is it I'll, I'll have to pay attention um dur- during the tottenham match i'll uh i'll either record some of it to play back for you and, and edit in or i'll figure out something to try and uh try and help nail that down but what what I had written down as something I wanted to ask about that I thought was interesting, and I believe this goes back to when I was watching the, the documentary, they they have this chant every so often where it's just, Arsenal, Arsenal. And it sounds exactly to me like the song Bicycle by Queen. And now we've firmly established Arsenal 
predates Queen by a long shot. Queen is a British rock band. They could have potentially been Arsenal fans or Arsenal fans may have been fans of Queen. Is there any relation between the chant and the bicycle song? <laughs> okay. To my knowledge, no. Um, you know, in a sense, there's because we, we've talked about sort of the bigger songs and their relationships. In a lot of cases, what they'll do for songs is they're kind of invented based on certain tunes uh, that people pick up on. Uh, it's a popular one was uh, uh, by the village people called Go West, which was adopted by a number of fans, but Arsenal will use it. Uh, typically, they're, they're, they had a tradition, especially back in the 70s, of being a very defensive, very uh, you know solid side. Arsenal would win. They'd score a goal, and then you, you'd know it was over because you could never, you'd never break through. So with the, the tune from Go West, it would be something like, 1-0 to the Arsenal, 1-0. To the arsenal, right. one nil to the arsenal, uh, over and over again. You know, <laughs> I, I remember a lot of these are designed, or quote unquote, designed to be sung by a lot of really drunk people. So, <laughs> you know, could there be a connection? Could someone have taken that years and years ago from, from Bicycle? I, I, sure. <laughs> you know, the, the, the origins of that one are far far beyond you know, certainly well beyond the sands of time of my time following the club um <laughs> right right but yeah i mean you'll see a lot of them um there's a, you know there and there a lot of them are tunes you'll recognize uh sometimes you know southampton's nicknamed the saints and they will sing when the saints go marching in uh you heard tottenham right, okay. fans yeah. assuming you hear them at all on saturday will sing uh, when the spurs go marching in um <laughs> yeah uh, Arsenal has it. I haven't heard it in a long time, but they used to, they have a song they used to sing, which is the same as the. Uh, well, the song has a lot of different names, but most Americans will hear it as um, "Pomp and Circumstance" by Edward Elgar, hmm. the that the the graduation song. Right, right. So we all follow the Arsenal over land and sea. So stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so so musically, there's a, there's a lot of there there chances are. If it if it is based if one of them was based on the other, I would bet the chant is based on the song and someone just adopted yeah, it, it seems, because it seems was more simple probable, and fun. Yeah. Uh but my right. odds are that odds, odds are there's no relationship, but I, I don't want to say that because I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fun. Um so we, I was gonna say I'm we're gonna... trying to keep this family friendly, so I, <laughs> I don't know how much of the Tottenham ones I can share with you that Arsenal fans will be singing <laughs> on Saturday. Uh, this is a this is a big rivalry game. Only if you're prepared to to exercise the uh, the censorship function here um, can we use I'll them. Have to, have to learn how to bleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let me see. Um, actually, no. I uh, nope. Can't use that one either. I was trying to think if there were a couple I could use, and nope. Uh, <laughs> All, all of them involve liberal, particularly liberal use of, of two words in particular, two of the words you don't want to use on a family-friendly podcast. Um, well, it's, we'll it's do that off the we'll do that off the air, and we can we can record them sure. later if you want. <laughs> it's funny you bring up being family-friendly because as as a youth player of soccer, uh, one thing that I'm wondering about watching these professional men play is you see them standing there attempting to block. Um, I was going to say penalty shot, but it's not a, a free kick. And they're all standing there covering their privates uh, because they're pretty clearly not wearing cups or else they wouldn't be doing so. Um, is there a G-rated way to explain that? Or is it just comfort? It is, is it? The, oh, no, it's exactly <laughs> what you think it is. Um, yeah. 
I, I you know, I, I plenty of them probably are wearing wearing cups, but those balls are really quite hard and are kicked at very yeah. high velocity. And you know, the cup the cup is there as an emergency measure. So when you're running around, your arms are out to your okay. side. Something happens, it's there to protect you. But if you have the chance, y- you don't want right. to take any chances. <laughs> Extra protection, sure. Yeah, that you know, you, <laughs> if you have, and also, I mean, there is some, you know, some bit of, a bit of strategy to that. Like keeping your hands close, tucked into your body, is where they're supposed to be. It's when they're spread away from your body, you can get in trouble for a handball. So if the if the ball hits sure. your hand while it's there, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Right. That's yeah. That's it's another potential reason. It's <laughs> it's at least a supporting reason. <laughs> oh boy, I didn't mean to have a double meaning. <laughs> mm-hmm. what's, what's the line from Greece? If you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter. Be an athletic supporter, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that one went over my head as a kid, but I laughed a lot. That's that's all. the point of it. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, last question before we sign off. Can a person go what Americans would call out of bounds or what in England they call out of touch? It seems to me that it's just the ball that is either out of bounds or not. But I have to imagine that you don't want the players also just running beyond the bounds of the field. But I have seen them in trying to keep the ball in. They will sometimes run themselves out of field, and that's okay. Do you know what the the guideline is there for the refs? Um, I can't speak to it specifically, but I, but I believe there's a certain amount of discretion involved, as we've, as we've talked about with officiating in the past. Yeah. If, if the player is inbounds or particularly somewhat close to being inbounds, it's generally considered okay. But if the player is completely out of bounds and making a play on the ball, then the sense is the ball has gone out. Uh, no, that ball's out. And, and usually it's just really hard to get that far out of bounds and make a play and push it back in. So if your whole body's completely yeah. over the sideline and you're out, yeah, you're not. Uh, they're not gonna. They're called. They've called that out already. But yeah, typically, if the player right. can be at least partially out of bounds, as long as they believe the ball is still in bounds or not completely, out, and it's completely out, so it has to go completely across the line to be out. As long as that's the case, then the ball is still playable. Okay. But as far as a player just, like, running up the field, even without the ball, just, like, running up the field out of bounds, I can't imagine that's allowed. You're, you're not supposed – yeah, can... I mean, you're not – the idea is that – uh, well, actually, I um, – I, I got to be honest. I don't know that I've ever seen a player do that. Like, there's there, – the fields are large enough. There's always enough room. It's not like, right. you know, the American football where somebody's blocking you off, like, grabbing you and pushing you around. You know, if you if you yeah. don't have the ball and not being put, the other guy shouldn't be touching you too much. So there's always room for you to get space. And I mean, if part of it is you're sort of quote unquote run out of bounds, you know, somebody kind of pushes you away. As long as you get back in quickly, nobody's going to think anything of it. I guess I'd say I've never seen an instance of a player like deliberately running out of bounds and like running. You'll notice also on the sidelines there are, isn't a lot of space anyway. So it's not as if there's this room where he can take this real roundabout route and suddenly reappear somewhere else on the field. Right. Yeah. So I guess, I guess it seems like the, the short answer is yes. On a best effort basis, like you're going to go a little bit out sometimes, but you shouldn't be spending serious time. Yeah. And most guys don't want to, because if okay. you're out of bounds, nobody's passing in the right. ball. So. Well, right. You're not doing much, right? Exactly. Okay. You're not really, once you go out of bounds, the other team can look and just not worry about you anymore. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, unless as discussed, unless you, uh, you're injured and you're being forced to stay out of bounds until the ref 
calls you back in. So right, but okay. then again, you say they, like you said, the player is is out, out past the touch line. He's out. He's out of the play for that moment. Right. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, uh, that'll do it for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places. And we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches, but not this week, sadly. Oh, well, not this past week. This coming week, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Saturday is Bye, Derby Keith. Day, and never, never forget, friends, North London is red. sounds good talk to you next week what do we think of Tottenham shit what do we think of shit Tottenham (laughs) Uh, we won won the league we won the league at shit heart lane at shit heart lane we won the league at shit heart lane we won the league at that shit hole we won the league at shit heart lane (laughs) 